0: Hi, I'm Mike Tom. Colleen Hood is off today. Welcome to another episode of Connections. Arrested for attempted armed robbery at just 15 years old, today's guest has a pretty good sense of what it means to live a godless life. He says his teen years were a shipwreck of substance abuse, imprisonment, and reckless living. That is, until Jesus got his attention through several of his faithful disciples. Thanks to that intervention, He went on to earn a doctor in ministry degree and has served as a youth minister. His latest work provides us with a guide to helping teens follow Jesus in the midst of grief and trauma. Christopher Marchand will join us today. Today's guest is Christopher Marchand. And Chris, we should give full disclosure to everybody. You and I actually met 13 years ago now, almost 14 years ago. You were my faculty advisor when I went to school to become a youth pastor. You've got decades of ministry experience. Uh, tell us a little bit about that, how you got into ministry and and why you're so passionate about helping young people.
1: Sure. You know, uh, well, when I came out of um, sort of the drug culture in uh, the late 70s, early 80s, um, and I became a Christian, and I wanted to do something for other teenagers uh, who had been in situations like I had been. And so I started working uh, volunteer with the probation and parole um, substance abuse program in uh, Southern Ontario. A probation officer tapped me on the shoulder and said, "Why don't you come with us and we're gonna we're gonna go to schools." And I worked with three other guys who had been uh, lifers in different penitentiaries. And we spoke to high school students all over Southern Ontario, and uh, uh, started working in prisons again as a volunteer, and really enjoyed. Uh, just uh, finding ways to speak hope in life and, and be present and hear stories from people who had been through some pretty rough stuff. So um, a friend came and uh, tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey, what have you ever thought about Bible college? And uh, I had not. <laughs> uh, college is not high on my list of things to do. Um, but sure enough, I ended up at uh, Emmanuel Bible College in Kitchener, where I finished a, a bachelor of theology degree and uh, and began to move towards youth ministry you know, just because that was my passion to see kids uh, come to know Christ and avoid some of the messes that I'd found myself in so I worked as a youth pastor in uh, Kitchener Waterloo and then at General Shepherd Community Church uh, near Owen Sound Ontario in a little town called flesherton and uh, I got the bug I just I just loved it I worked for about six years as a youth pastor there and uh, of course there's lots of pain involved too a lot of a lot of painful life circumstances that you Encounter, but there's lots of also wonderful opportunities for discipleship.
0: Youth ministry is a lot of fun, right? Like you get to play games and have fun, but sometimes we forget. I think as adults, how difficult those adolescent years can be, and then especially if if traumatic events come up and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, and there's going to be you know a percentage of kids in every pro every youth program, both kids in the program and kids who are sort of peripheral to the program that you get to know in the schools or in in other places, friends of friends. And many of them have been through a, a very traumatic encounters. And uh, there just aren't enough resources uh, to help kids. And there are very, very few resources to help kids follow Christ in trauma. Uh, and that's one of the things I wanted my book to accomplish.
0: Yeah, you've got a new book out. We're going to talk about that. A couple of unique angles about the book. And and it's not your first book either. Uh, first, though, what was a highlight of ministry for you? Uh,
1: highlight of ministry, boy, I guess... Um, Seeing, um, seeing change take place, yeah. um, the learning and growth that happened in me, uh, was fabulous. Um, walking, w- walking with people through really difficult circumstances, um, not always coming to a resolve or to the end of those circumstances, but realizing this is a life condition for these people that's, it's not really gonna change radically, but to see people walking with Christ even in pain, um, has been a real highlight.
0: Now, and that's kind of like you mentioned about your book, uh, an angle that it takes. The new book's called A Road Called Hope, and then a subtitle, A Gentle Guide for Discipling Teens Through Trauma. Now, what's kind of unique about this book, like it's not an academic textbook, is it?
1: No, it wasn't intended to be an academic text, although I did put questions for small groups or for students um, at the end of each chapter. But no, I really wanted to reach sort of the 20 to 25-year-old uh, younger youth worker, uh who is saying boy i' I'm, I'm looking for a resource to help me disciple teenagers and something that's accessible and readable, and that's why I called it a gentle guide. It, it really is uh, designed to be accessible to uh, to anybody but it, uh, maybe a younger youth worker who's new to the field
0: so uh, we touched on trauma for teenagers uh, earlier. How does trauma affect teenagers differently than adults, or does it affect teenagers differently than it would affect adults?
1: I don't know if the effect is different, but the resources available just through maturity and life experience is different for adults. You know, you think about the trauma even of divorce, the adults are in mm-hmm. that, they're going through it, they're having that experience, and they've got maybe a, a different kind of resource available to them than, a, than a, maybe a 13-year-old whose life is really falling apart, and mom and dad can't be the resource to them because they're involved in their own pain, and so you know, the kid might, uh, the teenager might be experiencing trauma, sort of a little bit more alone uh, than a parent might be at that point. Uh, I don't know if it affects teenagers and adults differently, but certainly the experience of the teenager um, might be one of, of just feeling more alienated and alone and, and powerless uh, to what's happening to them. And I think that's across the board, whether it's uh, suicidal thinking or whether it's eating disorders or or divorce or violence. Um, they might feel more helpless uh, in those circumstances just because of their age and their maturity.
0: I think when traumatic events happen to almost anybody, there's often, if you've had a little bit of faith in your life already, then a traumatic event happens, it seems to be one of two extremes. You either go all in with Jesus or you go all away, right? And you run from him.
1: Yeah, you know, and this all started when I did my doctoral dissertation on... Um, trauma story, the effects of trauma story, adolescent trauma story on the youth worker. And that's exactly what I found. I expected to find more uh, all the way. And what I found is that when youth workers experienced really traumatic things with teenagers, it tended to move them closer and uh, to Christ and into a deeper relationship with Him. And I was surprised to find hmm. that. But there was one person in my research that said, uh, you know, I've had enough. And I just can't believe in this kind of a God anymore, whatever that meant for them.
0: What do we say to those people? We've all met them. I was one of those people at a point in my life, right? Just couldn't believe in a God after another traumatic event. How do we talk to those people?
1: Well, I think you know the answer to that already, because you and I have talked about this. uh, But I don't think um, that words are really the best way to start. Um, Mm -hmm. And I talk about the power of silence in my book, and just being present with people without all having all of the, the correct Christian theology sometimes. People who are deeply wounded by trauma uh, will project that onto God, as I have done as well at times, and uh, we don't need more um, uh, simple answers. Sometimes they just need a good friend who will uh, listen and be present and love and care and walk with them through that pain. Um, Sometimes it's really just as simple and as difficult as
0: presence. It's so many times you hear you're talking to people who have a friend suffering, right? And yes. and they're asking for advice, and they're like, I don't know what to say. And that's yeah. the whole—you don't have to say anything, right? Just be there.
1: Yeah, and you know, it, it sounds weak, and it sounds like you know ineffectual, or you know, maybe I'm missing something, But I actually have a, a really good story in my book about um, being at a funeral with a, a person who had lost her husband, and and I, I just didn't have any words. It was so awful. They were newly married, and it was incredibly painful. And afterwards, she sent me this lovely note that said, "Thank you so much. I, you know I can't imagine going through this experience without you." And I you know I felt like such an idiot afterwards because I didn't have right. a single intelligent thing to say. You know, I, just, <laughs> I basically just sat there and refilled her coffee mug and got her a Kleenex, and but she found that to be one of the most important pieces of healing through that uh, traumatic event.
0: What uh, was uh, the experience like for you writing this book?
1: Uh, you know, as as often happened when, when I would teach, um, the experience of reliving the trauma was mm-hmm. was a, lots of emotions, a lot of strong emotions for me as I was living through, and it's about a two-year project, so I was living through some of these stories, these painful stories, and uh, some tears, but also some joy to see. Uh, I got a, a call not long ago from a young man who was going to take his life when he was about 15, and he was inviting me to his wedding, and he was... Uh, soon going to be graduating from seminary, and he was going to become a youth pastor. And and uh, it was really those six weeks of lunches that I did with him um, that kept him alive. And uh, now he's living a life of uh, that's thriving and, and he's just doing so well. So I got to remember some of those stories, too. They they don't all have happy endings, right? Um, but they don't all have awful endings, either. That's it's, so
0: important to it's, remember. It's, right? it's
1: life, right? I mean, some people are just uh, so full of pain that they, they really can't... Um, it's really just not going to come to an end for them. You're not going to minister to them, and they're going to go, "Good, I'm good now. <laughs> Thanks, I'm, I'm fine. It's just not reality.
0: Yeah. Uh, so it's a guide to discipleship. Talk to us a little bit about discipleship. What does it mean to disciple somebody?
1: Yeah, and Mike, you know, the really interesting thing is that when I first started doing this research, I thought, you know, I'll just look at some of the other guides for discipleship or discipling teens through trauma, and, you know, I couldn't find a single one. Wow. And uh, I'm pretty good at, uh, and I had some other researchers working with me to say, let's find the journal articles or, you know, there are some magazine articles, Christian magazines, but we couldn't find a single book um, that talked about discipling teens through trauma. What we could find were counselors who had written books about how to use counseling skills to help people deal with trauma. And they were Christian books. But as a youth pastor, I often found myself looking for a different tool. Like I'm not a therapist. I don't want to be a pretend therapist. Right. Although I I used a lot of the techniques that were good to help people talk and good for listening skills and caring. But I wanted to help teens follow Christ in pain. And uh, one of the unique things about discipling teenagers through trauma is that you're not helping them get out of the pain. Uh The New Testament talks a lot about finding Christ in the pain and even inviting suffering into our lives so that we can discover more about Christ when we align ourselves with his pain.
0: I'll always remember, actually, one of your classes about 10 years ago or so and sitting there doing a paper and reading in Hebrews, right? Like if Jesus, the Son of God himself, uh, cannot escape pain, then who are we to think we will too, right? But Jesus is there with us in the midst of that pain.
1: That's right, yeah. And, And so Christian discipleship is really not about alleviating pain, it's about helping people recognize God is still with you. Uh, God is with you in, in this situation right now. And I mean, that's what the Lament Psalms are about. Mm. That's what you know Paul is talking about as he goes through his suffering. And he still is finding this, this meaningful relationship with Christ, even in horrendous circumstances.
0: I remember still when I was 16 years old and I lost three friends in a car accident. I grew up in a small community, and so it really rocked the whole community and surrounding area. And and, uh, a couple nights later, they had a community meeting at the school. So all the kids are there, all the adults are there, and the pastor of our little country church is there. And I just remember him looking at me, and you could just tell, first of all, the heartache he has in his eyes, but also the fear. And he's like, I've got no idea what to do or how to help or what to say in this moment.
1: I think we've all been there with a friend, and uh, that's one of the things that this guide does. Is It, it kind of paints a picture of, of whether it's self-harm or unhealthy dependence or grief or disordered eating or depression. Uh, it paints a picture of what that's like in both Canada and the United States for teenagers. But then the second half of each chapter talks about here's some things you can actually do um, as you walk with this teenager. You can help them find their words in the Psalms of Lament. Um, you can help them put... Um, accountability and and uh, and safety protocols in place to help them with unhealthy dependence because the will's not strong enough alone. Mm. You know, just some real um, some real tools for youth workers and for parents who who can grab onto this stuff and say, okay, well, here's two or three things I can use right now.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking like this is an amazing book for youth pastors and youth workers, but not just people in ministry, right? Parents, aunts, uncles, friends, whoever
1: yeah I think so I think it'll be a good resource for for parents and again it's a great resource for the non academic who just wants to to look at and go, you know is there something i can I can read about grief that will help me help this person in my life who's in pain and I think they'll find some resources here
0: whatever we do like Maybe somebody's just experienced a traumatic event in, in a young person's life and they have no idea's first steps to take uh, besides picking up the book and reading it. What's the very first step we could take in situations like that to begin a, a process of helping and healing?
1: Well, you know, I, I, personally, I think there are lots of ways you can respond to that question. For me, I think the, the first one is... Um, as a pastor, one of the hardest things to do, and people might find this uh, interesting, that a pastor would say this, but as a pastor for many years, one of the hardest things to do is to pick up the phone and call a person that you know has just experienced trauma. Yeah, and uh, you know, we all want to kind of get away from that. You're like, oh, what am I going to say? I'm not going to call. It's uncomfortable. It's awkward. But to press through that discomfort and be one of the first to be present, uh, knowing that um, there is no satisfying answer. To like you said a fatality or a multiple fatality when three friends die there there is nothing I can say that's going to change that situation Exactly. but I can go and I can just sit with you and cry and share a coffee and and we can be present to each other as human beings in that trauma I think we really devalue or underestimate the power of presence when a person has been uh, really experienced something horrendous and I talk about some of the kids I've sat with who, conf- who talked to me about abuse Mm. You know, and as they're disclosing that first time, the very first time, that initial disclosure to, to me, and uh, how painful that is, but how important it is for you to just be really present with your eyes and with your open body posture and mm. and with your love and your kindness. So I think, you know, when we, when we know that there's been trauma, being present and being consistently present, um, not promising I can be there 24-7, but but saying, hey, let's meet again tomorrow, let's meet again next week, being consistently present and giving them something to look forward to when life is hard and sad.
0: Well, twenty here I am, right, 21 years later from that traumatic event in my life, and what do I remember? The pastor was there, right? It made a difference. Even though he didn't know what to say or what to do, I still remember he was there and he cared. Yep. It's that simple and it's that hard. Exactly right.
1: Yeah, it's it's both of those things, right? That it's really about presence and about making yourself walk through your own discomfort of of not wanting to go because it it just feels uncomfortable. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to help. I don't know what to do. Um, but um, and again, I get into more details in the book that there are actually other things that we can do in in some of these situations.
0: Tell us about the book where we can find it and read it.
1: It's available on Amazon.com, Amazon.ca.
0: Well, such great advice in that book by the looks of things. Can't wait to read it myself. Don't forget, if you missed any of the conversation, you can listen to it again at your radio station's website. You can also subscribe as a podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll talk to you again on Connections.